Amen. So this week, my family and I, we went on, uh, we went to Mont Tremblant, you know, and uh, if you know, you don't know where Mont Tremblant is, it's a very popular ski resort. And it's nothing like the ones that we have in Ontario, you know, Blue Mountain. Blue Mountain is supposed to be one of the best, but you know, God bless their soul. I mean, it's like a little bunny hill, you know, it's uh, if you have ski in uh, places like Whistler, like Alden, you know, the drummer, he'd been to Whistler skiing and and man, I tell you, for love, he stayed in Ontario to ski in Bunny Hills all, all for, the, for the last 20 years. But, you know, God bless his heart. But, you know, I went to Mont Tremblant, and we, I'm a family, and I went to Mont Tremblant. We were skiing, and, and it, this is a, it's a much bigger hill. I think it's three times bigger than uh, Blue Mountain. And the temperature is perfect, whatever. But I, I noticed, I, I started to reflect upon my skiing abilities. Yes, I get older, my skills improve, you know. I know how to make all those moves, and, you know, praise the Lord, and... And I also noticed this is that when I first started skiing, I had problem continuing my skiing. So I had to take breaks all the time. For what, one reason is because I didn't really know how to ski. So I always have to apply brakes, you know, do that, 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 what it, there's a pizza plowing or whatever you call it, you know, and, and it takes a lot of energy. Some of you know skiing, you understand what I mean. So, but now, you know, as I get older, you know, I can do the hockey style, you know, just slide down the hill. It's a lot easier, right? And it uh, doesn't take a lot of strength, but it still requires a lot of strength. And so you still have to apply a lot of strength. But I also realized that as I get older, I had more discipline or I had uh, gone to the gym more often, more discipline. So I have developed a stamina. Everybody says stamina. And so I, you know, I was able to stay on the hill without being tired. I see some people, you know, they ski like uh, five, two, uh, four or five minutes and they had to stop. You know, have a pit stop every four or five minutes. It can't be fun because you cannot slow down your speed, right? You want to go. And so, um, but so, you know, but I realized I was able to ski longer. And therefore, watch this, I was able to enjoy a whole lot more because of the stamina I have. And the same thing as all the athletes, you know, you talk, talk to all the athletes. Every single athlete in the world that had accomplished great, great uh, achievement, the Olympians, for example, all of them had stamina. Because without stamina, whatever discipline you're in is useless. Without stamina, anything that you do is really useless. Because whatever that you want to get involved in, and we're talking about faith this morning... Without endurance and stamina, it's useless. Now in James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4, you are very familiar with the scripture. Listen to what James has to say in James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. I'm reading to you in NIV. Because you know that the testing of faith produces perseverance. Everybody say Perseverance. Why is that important? Because he said, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, without perseverance, your faith is, is in wanting. In other words, without perseverance and endurance, your faith is actually no faith at all. It's kind of useless. You can believe all you want, but if there's no endurance in the faith, it's really a waste of time. Now is what James is saying is that if your faith and my faith have no stamina, then it's useless. No matter how big of a thing you want to believe in God for, if there's no endurance, it's useless. In fact, I will take one step further. If your faith is without endurance, your faith is like an emotion. It is an emotion. It's useless. And how many of you know that emotion haven't accomplished anything in the history of humanity ever? 
If you ever want to accomplish anything in your life, get emotion out of it. Are you here this morning? Because faith, my friends, is not emotion. Faith that had no endurance is emotional. But faith with endurance is not emotional. You know, you can't do emotion with marriage. How many of you have been married for more than six months? Raise your hand. Right? Oh, you're still working on it, right? Praise the Lord. How's the heck? Where's Hector and Andrew? You know. You know, you can't do emotion in marriage. I'll tell you this. I know you're in love when you're, when you're in your honeymoon year, you know, and, or when you're dating, you know. Nothing can go wrong. You can forgive everything. You can tolerate everything. You can say, oh, I just love this person. That's okay. I just love this person. It's your emotion talking. It's not you talking. It's your emotion talking. And somehow after you get married, after, you know, one year or two, you know, things start to creep in, right? So if you, if you use, if, if, if you think love is emotion, then your marriage is going to last as long as emotion lasts. And we all know that our emotion doesn't last long. So when you go into a relationship, when you go into a marriage, you can't go with emotion. Now, when you do investing, I love investing, you know, stock market, you know, and that's why I have a degree in economics for the reason I want to understand how economics works or whatever. But when I was younger, you know, I let emotion rule the day. And so what I do is I get excited when everybody was excited. So, you know, when everybody excites, the price of a certain investment uh, asset will be higher. And then I run for the cover when everybody's running for the cover. In other words, you know, I'll sell when it's low. So I'll buy high and sell low. Somebody had been picking my pocket because I was doing investment by my emotion. You have to have winners and losers in the stock market. And fortunately, most people use emotion to make decisions, not only investing, but everything in their lives. And so those people use emotion to keep losing, to keep losing, losing ground, losing ground in everything that they do. I learned when I get older is that I'm going to chuck my emotion aside. I'm going to get away from my emotion. I mean, it's good sometimes to feel good. I mean, I, want, I like that. I want to be happy too. But if I ever make decision in my life, if I ever make any, if I ever want to develop any discipline in my life, if I ever let emotion have even a toehold, I will lose. So I'm going to hold on my emotion. Same as faith. James the Apostle says, you know, if your faith have no endurance, in other words, if it's just an emotion, you come to church, you know, and, and you respond to the song, or you respond to some kind of amazing anointed song, anointing nonetheless, and you get all your emotion worked up, you know. And then you'll say, oh yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And then you get home, you know. And the Holy Spirit now fills you. And he gives you the sensation, which is great. We all have experienced what it is to being born again. We feel of joy. We feel of hope, you know, and peace in our lives. But how many you know that as soon as you discover Jesus, you become the target of the devil? And so if, he's your, if you are his target, then he's going to send all the fiery darts against you. Messengers of hell, the Bible says, the messengers of the devil, Paul the apostle says, the thorns in your flesh to bug you, to annoy you. Now what are you going to do? You're going to give up? Friends, let me tell you this. 
If you ever want to walk in this faith walk, you must always remember, emotion doesn't work. Only faith works. Emotion is like a Coke bottle. How many of you know Coke bottle, you know? Let's not go to the beer bottle because it's unholy in this place, right? Let's talk about Coke bottle. You can drink, you know, don't worry. Don't. Why did I get myself into that? Anyways, you know, Coke bottle, right? You shake the Coke bottle. Then you pop it up. It's like an explosion. It's dramatic. It's fancy. And what happened? Fizzles out. And before you know it, if you leave it for a couple of days, all the, the, carbonated, the carbon in the carbonated water or the drinks is all going to disappear. And it will be just very flat and very dull. It's no longer exciting. But your faith and my faith cannot be like that. It must have the element of endurance. For all the great men and women throughout times accomplished great things, influenced generations after them, did not do so with emotion, did not do so with just a few weeks or even a few years of faithfulness. No, but it's a lifetime commitment, a lifetime of faithfulness, a lifetime of endurance in their faith walk with God. So many of this in these hours, in our generation, in our time, in our culture, he said, we, we, we consider it a long haul, we stick around for six months. I heard, I, heard, I heard a gentleman, you know, he just, he, just recently, he just recently divorced his wife, you know. And he, 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 he actually was bragging, you know, I've, I've, I've been in this marriage for five years. It was long enough. It was amazing, longer than anybody else. And so he could brag for sticking around in a relationship for five years. In our generation, we don't understand what it means to be faithful. I always say this. Seven years point is always that point of testing of our loyalty and commitment. Whether it's in relationship, in faith, in whatever. Seven years. Every seven years that loyalty will be tested. In our generation, we are so used to just quick dramatic entrance and quick dramatic exit. But ladies and gentlemen, you and I will not be here. Billions of people would not know about Jesus. Especially the non-Jews, the Gentiles. If Paul the Apostle did not stay the course and continue to preach the gospel to the Gentile. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I will not be here and know the doctrines of our faith. If Paul the Apostle gave up in the harshest time of his ministry, that would be the end of his ministry. Do you realize that all the epistles, most of them were written in the time when he was in prison. When Paul the Apostle was in, 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 in prison, he wrote most of the epistles, which means he had faced the harshest time of his life and yet he stayed the course and he wrote all the epistles. 
That's just where you and I have all the doctrines in our faith walk with God to understand what is our faith, what is grace, what is righteousness, what does it mean to be under the blood of Jesus, what does it mean to take communion, what does it mean to live by faith, what does it mean to live by grace, what does it mean? We wouldn't know any of this if Paul the Apostle had given up when he was in prison and said, forget this, I'm in prison, I'm being chained, I'm being whipped, I'm not going to write any epistle. But he stuck around. And that's why you and I have the benefit to enjoy this amazing goodness of God. And you know about the story of, of David. You know, David would not have realized his destiny to be the greatest king if he'd given up when he was on the run from Saul. He didn't realize his dream immediately. He's always in hardship and on the run and under threat of being killed. For over 17 years. Just imagine he'd given up. So today I want to talk about different aspects of endurance. Or enduring in different circumstances. And I'll tell you this. When you want to endure, when we talk about endurance, we're not talking about a time when things are well and good because you really don't need endurance for that. Are you here this morning? You only need endurance when time is tough, when you have every reason to give up. So there are a few things I want to mention about endurance. First, we need to know, we need to know that the road of the cross, the road of faith, to believing in God for whatever you're believing in God for. First salvation, then your healing and righteousness and victory. To believe in God in whatever you believe in. You need to know that in, you must endure in loneliness. Because the journey of the cross, ladies and gentlemen, the journey of faith is always lonely. Let me take it one step further. The journey of achieving anything in your life is always very lonely. Remember Josh, remember Caleb, we talked about Caleb last week. But Caleb, when he was about to enter into the promise, taking a hold of the promise of God, he said to Joshua, uh, 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 Joshua in Joshua chapter 14, verse 7 to 8, he said, I was 40 years when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sat me down from Kadesh Barnea to spy out a land, the land, and I brought him a word again as it was in my heart. Next verse. But my brothers... All my buddies who went up with me made the heart of people melt. Everyone was, was against the idea. Yet, I wholly, everybody say holy. I wholly followed the Lord my God. Do you know that out of over a million people at the time in that generation that was at the precipice of great success and receiving the promises of God, only two made it in. That is a very, very bad art there. Two out of over a million people made it into the promised land. Moses didn't even make it. Wow. I tell you this, the road on the cross is very lonely. Caleb endured even when most people around him had given up. Had wanted to turn the other way. The road of the cross, ladies and gentlemen, the road of faith, the road of great destiny is always a lonely road. When Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says all oh, his disciples left him. John just stood afar and looked. And we go back to Paul. 
You know, 2 Timothy is one of the last books that Paul wrote before he was being martyred. And if you look at 2 Timothy, he was telling, he was telling Timothy about what happened. He said, in my first defense, one of the persecution, uh, no one came to stand by me. All but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Listen, the road of faith, whatever you want to believe in God for. And we're talking about faith in Christ Jesus that have eternal changes and eternal impact. Is a very lonely road. I love the song that I used to sing when I was in the 70s. You know, um, I won't tell you how old I was. Maybe I was just a baby. But anyways, we love to sing this song, you know. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. That's the cross, the road of the cross. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I want to tell you this. In my life, short life that I have, and it's still very short, I consider it, praise God. In the short life that I have thus far, I will tell you this. Every time I've made a decision to follow the voice of God, I usually find myself standing alone. Even the closest people in your life will never understand. If you ever want to follow this walk of faith, if you ever want to believe in God for anything in your life, I want to tell you, you better be prepared to walk it out alone. Because it's never easy. But the reward is massive. The reward is huge. Because if faith is easy, everybody would have done that. If success is easy, everybody would have done that. If getting the prize of become a, the champion is easy, there will be a lot of champions. Unfortunately, there is not a whole lot of champions in our lifetime. Not a whole lot of champions in our society. Not a whole lot of winners in our society. In fact, we're celebrating even when they're not winning in our society these days. When I, my boy was younger, is he here? You know, he came back, you know, they had this, oh, he's standing, okay, so he came back, you know. And uh, I asked him, I said, um, he was participating in track and field, you know. And I said, so how'd you do? Because I saw a ribbon on him. I said, what, what place were you in? He said, I was at the fourth place. I go, what? They give you a ribbon for fourth place? And I think he says something like, everybody has a ribbon. Even if they're last, you still got a ribbon. What kind of incentive to become a winner in our culture? There's no incentive at all. 
there's no winners. Because you see, everybody's winning. Oh, right. A winning road is always a lonely road. And that's why on the podium in the Olympics, there's only one spot to stand on for first spot. Can I hear an agreement? Come on, man. And so if you ever want to become popular, the faith walk is not the walk. Ooh. You know, being a preacher, it's always a very lonely road. You know, sometimes, you know, even my, my wife loves me and my children, they all support me, what I do, but they don't understand my heart. There have been times that I've been looking for somebody just to, to, oh, can you just, can I just pour my heart to you? It's always lonely, but that's great reward. Now let's talk about another, in, another situation that we need to be enduring our faith. Is that we need to endure in tribulations. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Paul the Apostle said, rejoicing in hope, persevering in happy times. You don't need to persevere when you're happy, do you? I mean, come on, when you're having a good time, do you have to go, oh, I'm just I'm persevering in good time. You don't need perseverance in good time. You need perseverance in tribulation devoted to prayer. It's really interesting if you study the life of Joseph. You know, if you know the story of Joseph, of course, there's another lonely man right there. Throughout his life, he's very lonely. He got visions and dreams that nobody understood. He didn't know how to handle it, so he told everybody about it. He opened his big mouth and also got himself into trouble. But whatever, his robe was always very lonely. And when he was sold to become slaves, he was lonely. When he was in the prisons, he was lonely. When he was the prime minister of Egypt, he's the only Hebrew. He's lonely. He always eat alone on his table, apart from the Egyptians, even in his own house. He's misunderstood by his brothers, in fact, hated by his own brothers. They sold him for a couple of coins. His road was lonely and was hard. And he was always in tribulation. But in Genesis 41, 50 to 52, that was, that was when he started to become the prime minister. He became very successful and God had blessed him. He got all the honor and adoration of the people in Egypt. And Genesis 41, 50, 52 said, Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Asenath, the daughter of the Potiphar of priests of On, bore him two sons. And Joseph called the name of the first one Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my, and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. I want to tell you this. In spite of the fact that you may go through tribulation, there are two things you can guarantee that God will do on your behalf. And by the way, God never said he would take away your tribulation. Because he promised you this already. In this world, you will have tribulation. We are like Joseph in a land that is in Egypt or the land where people misunderstand us. But I want to tell you this. 
in the land of your affliction. You need to know no matter how hard of a time you're going through, that God is his grace and his peace and his presence will help you to forget about your affliction from time to time. And that's why I want to invite you to his presence to worship him. One of the most powerful things that Christians can have and experience in their lifetime is that in tribulation, when people misunderstood you, when you are alone, when you're being falsely accused, when you're being betrayed even by the people you're supposed to trust, when they have betrayed you, but God's presence is going to cost you to forget about your pain that's why you want to come into his presence because when you're in your time of affliction you can rest assured if you stay the course the presence of God will engulf you will fill you will cause you to sense his presence and most importantly will cause you to forget about your pain come on let's praise God it's true let me tell you this as a pastor's you know, pastors in North America, we actually suffer nothing. Even though when I say I'm suffering, misunderstood, you know, I cry, where a thousand dead goes through my heart. Man, I tell you, if I, if, I, if I hang out with some of the Christians in the Middle East or some of the Christians from China, I would not say a word because it would be a shameful thing for me to even try to compare. Can you imagine I just, just, go, to, just go to Egypt, you know, and, and uh, oh, you know, I just felt so betrayed, you know, my church, you know, blah, 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 whatever, and and then the brother would say, oh, you know, I saw they kill my dad in front of me. I mean, I, I mean, I'll be too shameful to even talk about my affliction. But it's nevertheless real to me. It's nevertheless real for you in whatever first world affliction that you may find yourself in. It's real. But God in his promise wants you to know that in his presence there's fullness of joy. It's from the scripture. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. And you can come to his presence and he will make you forget about all the questions you have, all the challenges you have. And that's why Sunday worship is so important. You know, not that, not only, you know, I, I'm not trying to come, encourage you to come early. I, and actually I do. I want you to come early. Are you here this morning? I know it's hard on Sunday. I know that. Hey, I, psh, I'm there. I was just driving to church this morning, you know, just talking to myself, you know. Why did we have two services? I say, Lord, I'm just doing it for you, man. I, I'm not taking home any more pay by doing two services. I'm just obeying you. Hallelujah. You know, it's hard. So, you know, I, I drive, you're driving to church, you know. I'm, I, 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 I know it's hard to... To, to come to church on time. I know it's hard, especially some of you are driving in from nowhere, no man's land, you know, it's really far. God bless you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. But you know, when you come into the presence of God to worship God, it is one thing to sit there and listen to me preach. It is another experience to enter into his presence and to see him face to face. You say, what is that? It is not just the singing. It is not just the music. It is not just the emotion. It is an experience that will change your life. That you have life being added to you. That's why I encourage you. When you come and praise and worship God. Don't even if you made it on time. Don't just stand there. But get involved. Say Jesus. I want to yield myself to you. 
I want to be in your presence. I want to see you face to face because in that moment, all your pain will melt away. All your question will melt away. Healings will take place. Pain will be removed. Jesus himself will stand face to face with you. Friends, I want to tell you, it's an experience that you do not want to miss. And that's why I want to encourage Christians. If you come to church, if you want your experience to be full, not just come on time, get fully involved in the presence of God. I guarantee you this, you walk out of this place quite different, a lot different than when you walk in here. But not only did God take away, uh, cause him to forget about his pain, but he said, God made me fruitful. Everybody say fruitful. God made him fruitful in the land of his affliction. I want to tell you this. When you're going through affliction, God wants to make you fruitful. He wants to make your life fruitful. You know, some of the most fruitful moments of your life will be when you're in affliction. Let me repeat that. Some of your most fruitful, the most fruitful moments of your life will be when you are in affliction. So when you're going through tough times, watch out. It could be the time that you become most fruitful. And so don't despise affliction. Endure through your affliction. The next point is enduring or faithful in little. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 to 12. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, which God calls it little, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in which, of, uh, in which is another's, who will, give you, who will give you that which is your own? You know, oftentimes when we find ourselves in a place of little or insignificance, we don't feel the we don't feel it is necessary for us to be faithful and give it all we got. But the word of God says do not despise the small beginning because they are very, very important. Here Jesus says, if you can't even be faithful in the little, how can you expect to be entrusted with more? You know, we believers, we Christian believers, we often get this grandiose ideas of mission. You know, if I were to tell you that I have just chartered a plane, a private jet, and to take all of us to, I don't know, what is this most remote country, the most remote place in the Amazon, you know, to talk to the people that have never contacted the world. And we're going to charter a plane there, and we're going to preach the gospel to them. And that the Holy Spirit told me that if we would do that for two years, the entire village would come to Jesus and then everybody will be saved and we will have an eternal impact for that village. I'm pretty sure most of us would want to sign up and go. We have all this grandiose vision to make great significance uh, uh, changes in the world. But the very same people that want to go to the plane and want to change the world will not even evangelize to their neighbors. Will not even Take these little cards and invite people to Easter service. I'm not trying to condemn you. Please, 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 please don't feel that. That's not my purpose. I want to, I, I want to give the right perspective into our hearts. 
We want to have grandiose difference. As though when we get into the plane, I heard a preacher say, when we go to mission for you, somehow something would change in the air. Nothing would change. If you can't be faithful in little, God can entrust much to us. Many people feel like they want to pursue great revelation. Oh, they just go to conference after conference, discussion of great revelation. Great revelation. Nothing wrong with that because you are interested in, in finding out more about your God. That's why you want to pursue great revelation, deep, deep revelation. You know, I, I've been around for a while and, and I have flown, I've flown around the world literally to look for revelation. I have. Spare no expense, play hundreds of dollars to go to conferences, listen to some most amazing preachers. Back then, they didn't have any internet. So if you want to listen to some good preaching, you really need to go. Or you pay $1,000 for the whole set of CDs. I mean, how could I afford that, right? And so I'll fly around the world to chase revelation, but many of us are like that. We want to go and chase big revelation, yet we can't even be faithful in studying the Word of God consistently every single morning for one year. Again, I'm not trying to condemn, of, condemn us. I'm trying to teach us that your faith and my faith must endure when it is insignificant. When the time seems insignificant. When the things that we seem to be doing seems insignificant. We say we want to love the world. We can't even love someone we don't know who's walking through that door every Sunday morning. You know, in the millennial generation, I'm almost finished. There's this great urge, Gen X, or it's Gen Z's, or Gen Z and Millennial. Most of them have this grandiose ideas about changing the world, which is great, because they care. But let me encourage you this. Before you get to change the world, be faithful in doing the little. Be faithful in your local church. Be faithful in the little that God had entrusted you and given you the opportunity to serve in. Because nothing is too small. Nothing is too little. You know, I was talking about this, you know, a few weeks ago about this parking lot warriors, right? A lot of people despise that, that parking lot warriors. And by the way, if you want, if you, even if you're female, please, man, sign up. We need as many parking warriors as possible. I hear about this parking, war, lor, lor, parking lot warriors that he was able to save a life that was about to, the, the, the sister that was about to finish her own life after church. He made a difference. Make a difference in the small things. Jesus said, then you'll be entrusted in great things. Be faithful in the small things. Endure it in the small things. Then God will give you great things. Don't think to yourself, I don't, I, you know, I don't need to take care of the small things. I'm going to wait until the great opportunity comes. Well, the great opportunity will never come if you can't even be faithful in the small things. Worship team, come on up. I'm going to finish with this. In Hebrews chapter 11, 39 to 40. In the book of Hebrew, the writer of Hebrew is talking about all the great Heroes of faith that had gone before us, that had been faithful and gone before us. 
And all these faithful men, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. If there is your Bible, if you want to underline this, you need to study this. That apart from us, those who have gone before us should not be made perfect. What am I saying? Your faithfulness is not for only you, but for the generations to come. Come on, come on. Listen, listen, listen. You and I would not be sitting here if somebody had not been faithful throughout their lifetime. Like Paul the Apostle, all the heroes of faith. Your children, they may go away from the Lord or slip away in their faith. They may not, but if they do, this is what they will remember. Was mom and dad faithful in all that they say they believe? Because this is not how you preach it is a how you sing. It is a how you whatever talk. Talk the big talk. Because over their lifetime, when they turn back, will they remember you as a faithful servant of God. Faithful in your faith. Endure in your faith. Though they might, you know, these days they might despise you. You know, some of you have grown children. And maybe we made some mistake, whatever. God will forgive you. We're not going to hear the judge or condemn you. But if you were to be faithful from this day onwards until you see Jesus face to face. If you to stay faithful, stay faithful in all that God, you said God had called you to. Stay faithful. Mark your life with faithfulness. Then I can assure you of this. Is that though you may not see the promises of God in your lifetime, you will be made perfect when your children come in to serve God because they remember your faithfulness and because of your faithfulness. You know, in this faith thing that we talk about in church, it's not just a spur of a moment thing, it's a generational thing. Your children and my children, though they might not see it today, most of them don't because they're too busy with the world. But if you stay faithful, I can promise you this. In the time of needs, in the times when they remember you, they will remember your faithfulness. And because of your faithfulness, they too will be faithful. They too will call upon the Lord. You know, I'll tell you this. People always make comments like when you're older, you... You know, to me, right? Oh, you look more and more like your dad. I always thought I'm 10 times more better looking than my dad, but whatever. And then somebody commented to me lately, so you act like your dad, more and more like your dad. It's like, oh, I mean, nothing wrong with that, but you know what I mean? You call it Freudian or whatever theory you want to call it, but I'll tell you this, your children will walk out their life in your footsteps. They say that, you know, we, we always married our parents. You heard that before? What that means is that 
I will marry my mom. I mean, not literally, my goodness. But I'll marry somebody that just look like my mom. Well, not look like my mom, but, you know, like act like my mom. And, you know, in many ways, my wife is just like my mom. Sometimes I often mistakenly call her mom, you know, like, just Freudian, right? I don't know. They say, you, you, you know, you marry your spouse that is just like your mom because it's something that you're comfortable with, whatever. Well, I tell you this is that you may not realize this. It's more true than, than we realize is that we walk in the steps of our parents. We do. Knowing this, would you not want to make sure that your path that you walk in is the path of faithfulness in your faith, in your service to God, in your worship to God, is that those who come before, behind us will find us faithful. I used to listen to this song by Steve Green. <laughs> Some of you don't even know who he is, but you know, he's old too. But when I was younger, I listened to this gentleman called Steve Green. He had this song. May all our children that come behind us find us faithful. I pray that it is your wish and my wish. Even if you don't have children, but those younger generation will come after you. They're not going to say, oh, how, how good looking you were. And besides that, pre beauty is just temporary. When you get old and I get old, we're all going to look older. I gotta be. We just speak. I say, <laughs> I didn't say ugly. I just say older and more handsome. Actually, the other person, I I had an assistant used to work for me in the office. She's she's um, she's uh, she was uh, she was in her late sixty. I was in my I think um, early forties, early forties. And uh, you know she's she's like a, a, my mother working in the office. You know, so she was very attentive and whatever and. And she, she said something like, she said, you know, I'm really jealous of men. And she said, we ladies, you know, we have to keep working on our beauty, you know, just whatever, just to keep up. And yet it's still so hard. But he said, you men, as, as you get older, you get more handsome. <laughs> it is true, actually. You think about it. The older you get, the more handsome you become. So I'm a lot more handsome than I was five years ago. Thank you, Jesus. Besides, you know, my point is that the beauty is temporary, but your faithfulness will last eternity. Your faithfulness, come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.